Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Christina Judd and I met when I was living in Rexburg, Idaho, attending BYU-Idaho. Christina was my apartment manager, and I had the privilege of getting to know her a little better. I'm not even sure how we became buddies, but I felt like she was one of my kindred spirits, and I'm so grateful for her. Later on, we're going to like fast forward the story. We stayed in touch a little bit via Facebook and uh, social media, and then I posted that I was engaged to David, and she reached out to me and said, Tracy, let me come and do your photos. I'll be your photographer. And so we worked it out that she came and um, was my photographer at my wedding. And I feel like I learned so much from her that day. Just that one day of watching her be my photographer. Instead of, of course, she was taking pictures of me, but I felt like I was very cognizant of who she is and the way she wants other people to enjoy their days and enjoy this experience of getting married, I feel like she really helped me, especially at one point, I was trying to be very careful of not ripping my dress because I rented my dress. And at one point, Christina said, I will pay for your dress. I don't care if you rip your dress, like just have fun, enjoy this day. And I was kind of like, well, that's a different attitude. Like, I think I could that's a, that's something that's like so freeing and yet I feel like a little bit foreign to me particularly. And so I'm just so grateful. This is just her authenticity is something that is a treasure and a gift. And I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. So Christina, will you start us off by telling us how you got to the point that you were able to help people or encourage people to show up authentically. Yeah, I do want to add really quickly at BYU Idaho, I was doing the rounds in the apartment complex, checking everyone's apartment and making sure it was clean, like clean checks. <laughs> I even forgot what that's called, clean checks. And I came into your room and were you on the top bunk? You were like sitting on your bunk bed and we just started chatting. And I remember walking out being like, oh my gosh, she's so cool. I love her. I want to be her friend. And I was like the apartment manager and doing, I don't know. <laughs> so to have our paths crossed so many times and then to keep on this path and journey, I am so thankful. I just love it. And I love you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege. I lived in Seattle for a while. (laughs) It was only five and a half years, but in five and a half years of living in some of the darkest, wettest Seattles on record, um, I really lost my light. I lost all of the light. I lost all of the sunshine and light and happiness in my life. And I didn't realize it was the weather. We moved to Seattle 
at the same time had two children. Tyler had graduated. We moved for his job. So he now had a full-time job. I had two babies at home. They're 15 months apart. And life was just the opposite of what I thought motherhood would be. And I dreaded my days. So I did I thought my children ruined me. I thought they broke my brain and they ruined me. I didn't realize that it was the weather and being in this stuffy little apartment that we actually loved. It was a one bedroom apartment. We all lived in it for five and a half years. <laughs> um, but I was, I just, I needed something. I had these two babies. I needed something. And I had always been, I was always jealous of the photography majors at BYU Idaho. And once I asked, and I had a friend who started taking pictures and I'm like, if she's taking pictures, I can take pictures. I always wanted a camera. I always wanted to take pictures. And I asked Tyler once, can I buy a camera? Can I take pictures? And he got a bonus at work and he gave me the bonus and said, here you go, go buy a camera. (laughs) So I bought a little Canon 60D. That was my first camera. And uh, um, I started taking pictures and started this photography business and the pictures were horrible and I loved them. (laughs) I just thought they were the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. (laughs) And I began, I started an Instagram account then. I didn't have Instagram, Instagram before that. Um, So I started Instagram and I immediately started following these beautiful photographers who took the weird pictures. They took the pictures that they took pictures I had never seen before, especially family photos because I was doing family photography and their family photos encapsulated every emotion not just the good ones. Their family photos were beautiful and brilliant because they, they, yeah, they just encapsulated every emotion that you could feel in a day (laughs) and every emotion that I was feeling in my days. There was sadness and laughter and anger and frustration and confusion and blurriness and people upside down or running or falling or I don't like goofy pictures that were just not what you would normally C was family photography. And I instantly gravitated toward that. And I kind of wonder if that is always was always in my nature. Maybe I always wanted to see things how they really are. And it took all of all of these hard things for me to actually finally accept that things were harder and different than I thought they were going to turn out when I had babies, when I got married and had babies. So as I saw all these photos of all the things that could go wrong, and it was all of a sudden as if someone had taken all of my emotions and put them on the outside. I wasn't, I was bottling them up, just waiting for them to go away. I was holding them in, waiting for some day when I would just be happy again, when I would be me again. And maybe that was when my kids went to school finally, and I was doing my own thing during the day while they were doing their own thing. I would make up all these scenarios of when I would be me again. And that is not reality. That's not true. There is no such thing as waiting for this day to come without just living our normal lives and not doing anything about it. I began being more accepting of those hard emotions and the ugly ones, the sad ones, the hard ones. And then as I became more accepting of those emotions, I also wanted to take those types of pictures. And then in taking those types of pictures, 
I just began celebrating those emotions. Not only was I not just keeping them in on the inside, I'm like, what? This is real life. What are we doing every day? And became more, it just became a more celebratory process of this is how I feel right now. And I don't know, I didn't quite know what to do with them. I still like held on to them, but I didn't push them down. I didn't bury them. They were on the surface and I was trying to bring them out in other people as well, I guess, in my pictures. Like I would tell people, do this, pose like this, stand like this. And with my camera, I could bring out my emotions that I knew other people were feeling, even if they didn't express it themselves. I knew we all felt these emotions. And so that's, I think that's kind of where it came from. It wasn't hiding anymore. And I, I feel like a lot of us, I think we all go through a process of learning how to accept what is, what is real. And when you started to accept your emotions, what did that look like for you? It looked like me not trying to please anybody else anymore. That's what it really looked like. I wasn't And that's really hard. That's hard for the person not doing that. And that's hard for the person not receiving those pleasing actions anymore or those people. It looked like me saying, no, this is how I feel. And this is what I want. And this is what I can handle. And this is what I can't. And I just became very bold and a little bit abrasive too, probably really abrasive to the people closest to me because I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know how to do it yet. And I was still trying to figure it out, but it was empowering to be like, this is me now. And I'm kind of a wreck and it feels good to say I'm a wreck. (laughs) So it probably looked abrasive and ugly. (laughs) How have you reconciled expectations with reality? You know, I am still doing that. I feel like that is a lifetime pursuit. And probably even beyond a lifetime pursuit. The only way I can talk about this is through the lens of faith and repentance. This is this is kind of my pedestal. It's my shout it from the rooftops. Um, it's always on my heart and in my mind. And when it comes to expectations. There's this gap between where I am and who I am and who I want to be. There's this huge gaping gap. And as hard as I try and as much as I try to do, I feel like I can never bridge the gap to get to where I'm trying to go. And the harder I work and the more I try and the more I'm like screaming and shouting and yelling and kicking and trying to get there, I just am like still right here where I am, still just me. And it's obnoxious. It's like so annoying. (laughs) But this is what I have learned the last two and a half years. After Seattle, I said, I want the sunniest place on earth. And I want Huntington Beach and I want it now. (laughs) And Tyler's like, let's go. And so we moved to Huntington Beach. And in the six months we were in Huntington Beach, it was perfect. Our lives were perfect. I think that's why it only lasted six months. We were, it was perfect. And I learned all these things and it jump-started me on this journey of faith and repentance. So when my girls started school the following year, they would go to school all day and I would stay home and literally study my scriptures. I was on this high because I've just been in the depths. So I was, 
I had been in the depths and now I had come out of it and I was, I just felt like all this light was back in me. And so while my girls were at school all day, I read my scriptures all day long. I went to the temple multiple times a week. This is like ridiculous. This is like crazy person stuff. This is, this is crazy, insane person stuff. And I was loving it. And I was writing a book at the same time. And because I wanted to write this book on faith and my experience and what I had done and gone through and been through and learned and how I had grown, it was just this upward spiral of scriptures temple. (laughs) Like I nerded out on all of it. And I began to see that there is nothing I can do to bridge the gap between where I am and where I want to go. It doesn't matter how much I pray. It doesn't matter how obedient I am. It doesn't matter how much I read my scriptures. It doesn't matter how perfectly I do anything. It doesn't matter how many times I don't yell at my kids. Like think of all the things I wish I could do and I don't do it. None of that gets me to where I'm trying to go. The only one who gets me to where I'm trying to go is Jesus, period. I began to see that I have all these dreams and goals and I want to go places and do things now. (laughs) I want to go save the world. (laughs) And I learned through all these people in scripture, take every prophet in scripture are they talking about like how great their life is and how awesome they're doing? And are they talking about how obedient they are and how are they just talking about like how good they are? And no, take every single prophet in scripture, especially every single one who sees Christ, every single one of them says, what was done to me for I am undone, or I thought you were going to smite me or Oh, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoelaces. Every single one of them talks about their unworthiness and their weakness. And I was like, wait, what? In general conference, all we hear is be obedient. Get more power by being more obedient. Read the scriptures and get more power and be more, like do more stuff and have more of the spirit. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not in scripture. No, nobody in scripture is doing that. And so I know this like goes against everything we hear and everything we learn and everything we do, but in scripture, nobody's doing that. And so when I started to see how they prayed, that's how I began to pray. I'm like, if they get to see Christ, like if they get to know Christ and see Christ so powerfully and have these powerful moments with him, they're praying like this, then I want to pray like that. I want to do what they're doing because I want the experiences they are having. And I did every single time something went wrong in my life. Immediately, it was, I feel horrible. I feel terrible. I feel weak. I feel insecure. I feel whatever was in my heart, my true heart, my honest heart, whatever that was, I would pour it out and dump it out. And you think like, I, I went into that situation thinking I'm praying like them. I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to have experiences they have. And my life got harder and worse. <laughs> like things got worse because once the savior wants to show us our weakness, not so that we can feel bad about ourselves so that he can change us and heal us and give us power. Things got worse and got harder. And I don't know how I kept Oh, that's how it got worse and got harder. And so I kept praying those things out. All right. This is what I'm feeling. This is what happened. 
I began to see faith and repentance everywhere in scripture. And I began to learn that that is faith and repentance. And then I began to see it even more clearly in scripture. And it became, again, it was a faith and repentance unwound itself in a sense to me, who Christ is unwound itself to me. And never, I never think about being more obedient. I never think about what more I can do. I think about how I can be more exercised, as Alma and Amulek say. I think about how I can exercise my faith unto repentance more fully because Jesus Christ has been changing and healing my heart through that. And so this expectation of where I want to be, I am automatically, like slowly, naturally becoming that, not because of anything I'm doing all because of what Jesus Christ is doing for me. And I am learning very, very clearly that faith and repentance is the answer to every problem and every question. So when you ask about expectations, the answer is Jesus. And how do I get Jesus? Through faith and repentance. So I pour out my heart on the altar and I wait for him. And I pour out my heart onto the altar and I wait for him again. And I do it over and over and over until My kids come in screaming and yelling and where I would normally like go zero to hundred in two seconds. All of a sudden I didn't, I stayed really calm and talked them through it. And then I would think, Whoa, that is not how I would ever respond to that situation. This is the first time I'm responding differently. And it's not because of what I did. Jesus Christ is changing and healing my heart. And I am automatically responding differently in the same situations. This is awesome. I'm seeing things differently right now. I really love how you shared about you going to the altar and pouring out what's really happening in your life and in your heart, and then waiting for the Lord. When you pray or when you when you do this, do you, do you sit and wait and listen? you mind if I go to Alma 34? Please do. I cannot remember the last time that I knelt down to pray. I never kneel down to pray. And maybe I should, but I'm not there yet and I'm fine with it. (laughs) My prayer is all day long. And I'll read this verse from Alma. Yea, and when you do not cry unto the Lord, let your hearts be full drawn out in prayer unto him continually for your welfare and also for the welfare welfare of those who are around you. I feel my prayers have changed because it's happening all day long. I'm trying to exercise my faith unto repentance all day long. So I'm talking to him all day when every, I cannot tell you, I can't like, I can't reiterate this enough. Every single time something is happening to me that I don't like, I automatically am sending it up in prayer. I can't like, what's a good example of that? My girls are, everyone's flying off the handles. It's just chaotic. Everyone's hungry. Everyone's tired. And I'm spinning circles and I'm full of emotion. And, and all of us have those moments of in pure insanity. And it happens, it's most of the time. It's not like it's just, it's not like it's infrequent. And so in those moments, I'm like, Heavenly Father, 
My children are screaming. I am going to lose it. I want to scream back at them. I am stressed out. My heart is pounding. My mind is racing. I'm super anxious right now. I get as detailed as I possibly can all day long in every single one of these moments. And the more detailed I get, the more honest I am, the more I'm giving him my true heart and my honest heart. And if I can give him that, then he can work with it. The thing is, Satan tells us, what did Satan say to Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, run, hide, cover, go cover it up. And that's his message to us. Like, if you feel bad, cover it up. If you're guilty, cover it up. Don't tell anybody. Don't show anybody. Cover, 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 run and hide. And so then there's kind of this element of we can't be our true selves because we feel like full of shame and, and the shame and guilt conversation. I mean, don't even get me started on that. Those are opposing forces, right? Shame and guilt, they're different. And that, anyway, so the more I can uncover the more I bring out of the darkness to the light and who is the light Christ. And the more that I bring all my darkness to him, he heals it. And then the next time there's a tornado, or maybe it'll take 10 times. Maybe that, maybe that type of scenario in my home will, it'll go on 20 more times, but every one of those 20 times I'm saying that same prayer. This is my heart. Here it is. Here it is. Help me strengthen me, heal it, do whatever you do. And then by the 21st time, I am peaceful in that moment because I was as honest as I could possibly be. And I gave it to him, not expecting myself to change me. That's a little bit. One of my hard things is when people talk about changing ourselves, I'm like, we don't, we don't get it. We don't get Jesus. If we're talking about changing ourselves, we can never change ourselves. All I can do is give him my heart. And he will take care of the rest. So there's this huge element of grace and mercy in all of this. And that is what I focus on. Do you have any phrases that you go to when you're doing these things? Do you have words of scripture or things that you hear or that go through your mind to help you when you're choosing to be raw and honest or to help yourself feel empowered after you've expressed how you're feeling? I go back to the previous times I did it and it actually worked. I frequently think of lines in the temple. I do think of Alma. If you want to read something really beautiful, read Alma 34, 33, and 32 in that order over and over and over again. (laughs) I go to those scriptures, faith unto repentance. I go to Ezekiel saying the Lord our righteousness. Again, no prophet in scripture talks about their righteousness or worthiness, none of them. And so I, I go to, and then when, again, Ezekiel says the Lord, our righteousness, I'm like, he is my righteousness. I am imperfect and a wreck right now. And because of him, it's all going to work out somehow. I go to Eve and like her, I go to Moses three, four, five, six, yeah, I do have lines of scripture. I do have things in my mind. I do have prior experience now, mostly, where because it just gets harder. Life, the bigger we get, the harder it gets. And these hard things get bigger. And so I have to rely on the times that it was the small things and it actually worked. 
And that I do tell myself, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep pouring out your heart, keep pouring out your heart. Even though I'm like, seriously, is this actually going to work this time? This cannot, how is this actually going to work? How is this going to turn out? How are we going to survive this? I go there. I do that. And then somehow it does again and again and again. Do you think that that is what you've discovered as the enabling power? Do you, do you distinguish these things as like the enabling power, the cleansing power, or just the power? Oh, okay. I do have other things. I go to all of President Nelson's conference talks. His A Plea to My Sisters, his Revelation for the Church, Revelation for Our Lives, his Drawing the Power of Jesus Christ into Our Lives. President, I, I love President Iring. I go to one, like a conference talk he just recently gave in the women's, the last women's session that we had. So because of those talks, I, especially President Nelson's drawing the power of Jesus Christ into our lives. And he says, there is no amorphous entity called the atonement, meaning we don't go to the atonement for healing and sucker and blessings. And so when you say the enabling power of Jesus Christ, I have almost taken the atonement like out of the middle of Jesus and me, where before it might've been like me, atonement, Jesus, God, it is now just me and Christ. That's all I see. And that's all I focus on. And here's another scripture. When the savior says in doctrine and covenant 636, look unto me in every thought, doubt, not fear, not. We think it's every good thought, every happy thought. Every righteous thought. I can't look under Christ and all my bad, sinful thoughts. I know I can. And that's what he's asking me to do. Look unto me in every thought. So in all of my hateful, hurtful, mad, angry, sinful thoughts, they go up again immediately. I don't know why I just thought that. That was really stupid. Like I send them all up all of the time. And so I have learned to hear him and feel him. So I feel him give me strength. I feel him give me power. I feel him healing me as opposed to like the enabling power of the atonement, which I don't think is real. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is so cool. It kind of makes me wonder, like, what do you think of the world that's constantly telling us you can change? And there's, there's a lot of conversation around how we can change. And um, there's a lot of conversation around cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever the different types of therapy there are, I wonder, what do you think of those things? That is a great question. And I have wondered this. I mean, I am all for therapy. I am all for people doing whatever therapy they need to do and want to do. Go for it and find Jesus in it. Bring Christ into it is what I would say. Because I was reading, I love to read my scriptures. I love them. I get, I get answer after answer after answer. I hear the Holy Ghost. It doesn't have to be about what I'm reading, but I hear the Savior talk to me while I'm reading my scriptures, even if it's completely unrelated to what I'm reading. And so last yesterday, I wanted to have a big conversation with somebody. I wanted to have a hard conversation. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. This one's beyond me. I really don't know how to do this one. And that's my prayer. I don't know what to do with this. Like, help me out here. And uh, 
I was like, I don't want to read my scriptures. How am I, I can't, I couldn't even bring myself to read my scriptures at that time. And I ended up random. This is random. I, it, this was a tender mercy. I found this book that we have called Without Offense, The Art of Giving and Receiving Criticism. And I happened to open that book to the exact story of the exact woman that I was. It was like this case study, Dr. Lund writes it, I think. So it was this case study of this woman and she had a toxic person in her life and he's talking about toxic people. And I'm, my situation is not with a toxic person, but I was still her. And I could, that was my answer. So I was like, I needed that. I needed something substantial, something from somebody who knows more than me in the tactful way to go about doing things that I don't know yet. And so um, I would say, do all of the therapy and learn how to really exercise your faith into repentance and do it over and over and over again. And the combination and culmination of all of it will be healing because that's what Jesus does. He's the master doctor, master therapist, master healer. So go find the things that will bring you closer to him and whatever resource that is grab it and go and run with it and exercise your faith and repentance with it. Make him a part of it. What I am hearing from you is that you're a scriptorian. You're a scripture <laughs> girl. You're a scripture girl. You're a word of God girl. And you go to his word to receive his counsel. And what would you do for somebody who doesn't do very well with the word of God? How would you encourage them when they're not maybe tapping into that resource? I'm not undermining how hard it is. I'm not undermining how much practice it takes because everything we're trying to do and do differently takes time and practice and relapses. It just does. And it's a part of this fallen world we're in. We are, we are, what does King Benjamin call us? You unworthy creatures. You're less than the dust of the earth. Like he's not trying to put us down. He's trying to say like, this is just what it is. Like you're, it's just what it is right now. It's not bad. It's just what it is. And the bad in us isn't, I don't know if it's necessarily bad. It's just what it is right now. What is contraire? Contrite. Come unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Contraire means to wear down and grind away. Can you imagine how much life we have to experience for our hearts to be ground down enough for the Savior to give us a new fleshy heart of flesh, a fleshy heart? He wants to take out this stony heart and give us a soft fleshy heart. And that takes suffering. There's just no way around it. It takes suffering. And in Hebrews, there are a lot of scriptures about how the Savior was made perfect through the things which he suffered. That is us. And so we can't look at the bad as bad. We have to look at the bad as seeing things as they really are. I'm going to give this one to Christ too right now, and he's going to do something with it. I think that I have learned and I'm still learning to get rid of all of the fluff in the gospel. There's a lot of do this, do that, do more of this, do your family history, do your ministry, do your temple, go to the temple, do your scripture reading. There's just so much doing. And when am I just coming? When am I just coming and sitting at his feet and pouring out my heart? When am I coming to the altar? When am I 
coming to follow him? When am I, instead of all this going and doing and running and it's never making me any better than I am right now, like it's never enough, honestly. And I think we wear that and we feel it. And that's why we get burnt out and we don't want to do it anymore because it is too much and it doesn't work. And that's true. And so when Nephi says in 2 Nephi 31, now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ and the only and true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What is he talking about? Back to verse 17. It's the gate by which you should enter is repentance and baptism of water, and then cometh the remission of your sins. I'm going to say a remission of your whole being. Here comes redemption. This is how it comes by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And I think we forget after we have faith and repent and get baptized and receive the Holy Ghost, we forget that that is the path over and over and over again. Enduring is just a lifetime of faith and repentance. And then I make these covenants to bind myself to Christ so that he can give me all the power and strength and cleansing that I need to keep having faith and repentance and get closer to him. So I can keep having faith and repentance and come closer to him so I can hear him and be near him and sit at his feet and just come as opposed to running around like a crazy person, which is easier to do, honestly. It's harder to go to the dark places and the sad places and the hard places. It's real hard in our families and in our marriages and with our children and with our friends. It's just uncomfortable. But enduring to the end is enduring the discomfort long enough for him to change it, for him to heal it, for him to make me whole. So how do we, how do we like reconcile the realities of life with the fact that we don't want to suffer and we're designed not to want to suffer? And yet that is really one of the most effective tools and probably the only tool that God uses universally with everyone. Yeah, there's a word that I have to put when I think of suffering, I always add one word to that and it's submission. If I and, and it's, it's like the mantra, when I'm going to suffer, when I think I'm going to suffer, when I don't want to suffer, every time I think of the word suffering, I think of submit, submit, submit. So the Savior, that was his whole life was submitting. He let all the terrible things happen to him so that he could submit to the will of the Father. And that is what happens. We have these things inflicted on us so that we can become different people become new creatures in Christ. I don't know. I hate the suffering. I still hate it. I still, this last pregnancy was so horrific that every night I was awake all night long. I was awake all day. I was awake all night and my skin does this horrible thing. And I had all these weird, like hyperemesis things. And this last pregnancy was horrible. And I would stand in the shower forever and just ball and ball and ball and say, I hate this. I hate this. Why? Why do I have to suffer like this? Why do we have to go through this? Like that is my true heart. And that is my honest heart in that moment. And it all goes up too. And then after I endure and I wait and I wait and I give up that ugly heart every chance I get and I wait and I wait and I wait. Then I have these moments where, well, I'm going to backtrack because during that pregnancy was so horrible that all I could think was, this is how addicts must feel. 
addicts have to feel like this completely out of their control. Their bodies and their minds are flipping out in ways beyond their control. And I, all I could think was, I think I can feel a little bit of that. Like I, I am foreign to myself right now and suffering, suffering, suffering all day, all night, like, like scratching my body from head to toe for months without end, just like, and like an insane person. Like my brain was, I can't describe it. Just like turning into an insane person. And then I went into the grocery store one day and I turned the corner. I walked around the aisle and I saw two people who I feel I can safely assume were addicts. And I melted. I had to hold back the tears. I melted for them. And not one ounce of judgment crossed my mind. Not one. Not one bit of, if only they had the Book of Mormon. Not one bit of, oh, if only they could come to the temple with me. Or no, not, if only they, A, B, C, or D. If only they could. If only they had this. Nothing. I just melted. It was pure compassion. Pure, I feel you. If I could sit and have a conversation with you, I would hear you. Like I would know something because of the things I have suffered. And I don't think there's any other way for God to make us who he wants us to be. There's no other way for me to become like Heavenly Mother. There's no other way for me to acquire these perfect Christ-like attributes than through the things which I suffer. And so while I hate it and while I don't want it, my hope is in Christ that he's going to make me different than I am. And I want that more than anything. So whatever it takes to get there, I want to be different than I am. 